You're listening to the Kilcullen Diary Podcasts. Stories in sound from a village grown bigger. Hello, I'm Brian Byrne and this is Kilcullen Diary. Some time ago, I was given a tape of a radio programme produced and presented in 1994 by Magella Dwan for CKR Radio. For a number of reasons, I didn't get to listen to it until recently, when I found it to be a rich trove of Kilcullen heritage and history. For keeping the tape and lending it to me, my sincere thanks to Miriam MacDonald, founder of Curralon's Nursing Home. For the programme, Magella talked with my brother Des, Simmy Doyle, Miriam's father Matt Dunlee, my uncle Tom and myself. Sadly, I'm the only one of the five participants still around, but it has been a pleasure to hear those voices again. The programme was one of a series, Home Front, produced by Magella, where she talked with people in towns and villages in Carlow and Kildare to give a flavour of their communities. Enjoy. You're very welcome to Homefront this evening, the programme which brings you a flavour of the history and culture of towns and villages in Carlow and the Kildare area. Now, this evening I'm chatting to the people of Kilcullen. Kilcullen is on the Nace Asai Kilkenny Road. It's approximately 30 miles from Dublin. Now, the village of Kilcullen is four miles from Newbridge, seven miles from Nace, and 15 miles from Asai. The first bridge over the Liffey at Kilcullen was built in 1319, and it was after this time that the village developed, the main development being in the 17th and 18th century. Now, before the building of the bridge, the main settlement in the area had been at Old Kilcullen, which is one mile to the south. Old Kilcullen was the site of an early monastery, of which parts of a round tower, a church and three crosses remain. It was known simply as Kilcullen until the description Old was added in the 18th century. Now, a man who has a wealth of experience about the history of Kilcullen is none other than Des Byrne. So Des chatted to me to me earlier in the week about the history of Kilcullen. I'm chatting now with Des Byrne, who's owner of the hideout, but he's he also has a wealth of information about Kilcullen itself. Des, Kilcullen is steeped in history. Can you just uh, bring me back and tell me how Kilcullen itself got its name or where did the name Kilcullen derive from? Yes, indeed, Magella. To really find out about Kilcullen's history, you'll have to travel about a mile and a half south of Kilcullen to an area now known as Old Kilcullen. It, uh, on that, it's a hill known as the Hill of Sleeve Cullen, and there was a petition, a petition monastery built there. Um, some records go back to, to 932, and there were some Viking raids took place. And it shows, to show the size of the area, it's recorded that over a thousand prisoners were taken. So it must have been quite a substantial town in itself. So does um, Kilcullen, had he anything to do with Kilcullen? Going back to the name of Old Kilcullen, the Hill of Sleeve Cullen, or Slee Cullen, as it was probably known at the time, this seems to relate to the fact that it was the way of Kilcullen. And if one checks back, one can find hills and ways and names between here and the northern counties up to Ardvaca with the name Cullen included. So we must assume that Cullen travelled down this far and perhaps had a, a hand in its founding or whatever. 
Old Kilcullen itself, um, St. Patrick is believed to have um, appointed the first bishop there of the area. Is that right, Des? Yeah, it's reputed that the Patrician Monastery was founded by St. Patrick and that he appointed its first bishop to that area, a saint or Saint Iserninus. And um, that, well, obviously, it was probably the start of the, the town because I think really they built these monasteries and towns grew up around them for safety and various other things like that. Um, moving on from uh, the various things I mentioned about Old Kilcullen, we come to the year of 1319 when a, a man named Morris Jacks or Morris Jackis built a bridge across the uh, river. Now the reason for the bridge prior to it being built, there was a ford at that point in the crossing of the river whereby people could cross the river with their animals and various other things. Um, but if there was a flood, a load of flood water, they had to go further downriver towards that garvin to get by. So this man decided he would build it. Now, he's reputed to have been a canon attached to the cathedral in Kildare Town. And it is said that he, um, he in fact, paid for the cost of it himself personally for the bridge. Now, how did that change the face of the area? Well, at that point, it, it started the, the decline of Old Kilcullen as a town. It is records show that it started in the 14th century to this line and it was gone by the 18th century for all intents and purposes. This present day there is but a, a pub and uh, some ruins that's all. There is some new housing beginning to develop up there all right but as a town it died and obviously with the opening of the bridge across the river people came to live nearby it and, uh, and as a result the village and town of Kilcullen started. So we can really say that the Kilcullen as we know it today, started around 1319 onwards. Moving on up into the present day, the hideout is now um, one of the landmarks of Kilcullen, and it's in the third generation of the um, it's the Byrne family. And, um, of course, we have the museum here with lots of interesting things. Des, one of the most interesting things that I've seen here is, the, is Dan Donnelly's arm. Can you just take us back a little bit on that one? Yeah, briefly, uh, Dan Donnelly, was, was a, he was born in Dublin, the son of a carpenter, and a carpenter himself. And he was spotted one evening in a tavern having a, a scrap with somebody by a, a local gentleman, who, uh, a fellow called Kelly, who um, got hold of him and said he convinced him to come down to his establishment close to Kilcullen to be trained in the art of bare-fisted boxing, which they call pugilism. Uh, Dan was quite successful as a boxer in that, uh, in that field. And uh, his main claim to fame in this area was a fight that took place in, in Donnelly's Hollow, December of 1815, um, where he beat the English challenger, a fellow called George Cooper. Um, after that, he gave some exhibition fights in England and in Ireland and died rather young at the age of about 33 or 34. Um, when he was buried, his grave, like all graves of the day, were, was robbed. Um, the medical profession used to buy the bodies in order to study the human body. There was quite an uproar over the fact that his body had been robbed and the surgeon agreed to replace the body but retained the right arm for study purposes. It eventually went to an, a medical university in Edinburgh and ended up in the north of Ireland as on a travelling peep show. In 1952 uh, the government instigated the Untoastal which was a series of festivals at every crossroads in Ireland. And in this area, they reenacted the Donnelly-Cooper fight, 
over in Donnelly's Hollow. This gave great publicity to Kilcullen and led to the arm actually being presented to my father, which arrived here in 1953. It has been here ever since. And I always think it's rather funny that the arm ended up here in a tavern in Kilcullen because it's reputed that after his fight in Donnelly's Hollow in 1815, he spent three days and nights in a tavern in Kilcullen celebrating the, the uh, victory over Cooper. What does the future hold for Kilcullen with the uh, bypass coming in the next century? Oh, I have great, I have great um, views on the future. I think it's going to improve Kilcullen no end. One of the problems nowadays is the fact that we're on the N9, the national route between Dublin and Kilkenny-Waterford. Kilcullen has become a major uh, traffic jam. That in itself is very negative for Kilcullen because, as you know yourself, if you're stuck in a traffic jam, all you want to do is get out of it and get on down the road. So as a result, people are just going through Kilcullen as quickly as they possibly can and they, they're already bypassing it in that form. But with the actual bypass, I see Kilcullen going back into what a, a real village and real town should be. Um, people will come here because they want to come here because it will be very accessible. Uh, services will obviously improve, parking facilities will improve, and uh, I would also envisage that um, there would be quite a bit of development on a residential basis. We're quite surrounded by large towns with industries in them, so the employment would probably lie in those areas. But Kilcullen will be a really nice place to live. The very fact that um, there is only one bridge crossing the Liffey in Kilcullen will mean that Main Street Kilcullen and close to it will remain as is. And if you look down at any day uh, without a traffic jam, it, it's quite a beautiful little village, and we will remain so. I have no, I have no problems or worries about the future of Kilcullen. I consider the the bypass a bonus. You consider the heritage of Kilcullen intact? Uh, all for for the all for the reason of the bypass, it will it will actually improve that aspect of it too. We will be able to get work back working at our buildings will look better, our shops and our street. Will, will look so much better and be f so much attractive, so much more attractive to people coming in. The the tourist aspect of, I, I, I envisage Kilcullen becoming a little tourist resort. Uh, like many villages I've seen on the continent that were bypassed, they now have hundreds and thousands of, of visitors each year because of the very fact that they are small and unique in themselves, as Kilcullen is. Town to be proud of. Very much so. Now, um, chatting to the people of Kilcullen, there are lots of colourful characters in the area. And one such um, character was Simi Doyle, who is a member who has actually had 21 brothers and sisters. And I chatted to Simi during the weekend. He had lots of funny stories to tell me. Every one of the lads had to be nicknamed, you see. And I said to the mother one evening, how comes to say all the lads is nicknamed? Because she says if you called them by their proper name, they wouldn't hear you. <laughs> and I had to nickname them. Now, would you like me now to tell you the nicknames? Well, not of all 21, but a couple of the nicknames, Simmy. There was Ga, there was Trumps, there was Yarks, there was Flyer, there was Cuddy, there was Bolsters, there was Trumps, there was Duck, there was Sticks, and there was Stripe. Oh, my God, how do you remember them all? There you are now. 
nicknaming them years after years, you know. And did your mother have to go and, and think about all these nicknames? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. But if you called a bit the proper name, they wouldn't hear you when they be out playing, you know. And where did she get the names from? I don't know. Of her own head. She nicknamed everyone, and the nicknames stood by them. So you're Simmy? I'm Simmy. Now, what does Simmy mean? What, was, what is your real name? Simon. Simon, so you're just Simmy. That's not too bad. Simon James Peter. <laughs> <laughs> With 21 in the family, Simmy, I won't call you Simon, I'll call you Simmy, um, it must have been quite a, a fun time for you going back all those years it ago. Yes, of course. There were great times, though, you know. We hadn't a whole lot, but we, had, we got by. Uh, Simmy, you had four uncles in the First World War. They were all here from Kilcullen. That's right. Um, they went to fight the First World War. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, they went to France, and there were only a couple of days there. They were all blew up. There was one, one of them identified. And he was brought home and he's buried in New Abbey. But the other three is buried in Ballet Mallet in France. So for, for your family, tragedy struck tragedy. as well? A weed, yeah, no doubt about it. Um, what was it like for you growing up here in the older part of Kilcar? It was hard old times, like, you know. I often went to school in my bare feet. I did kick football in me bare feet. And can you describe the town to me? It, um, it isn't what it was like today. No, God, no way, no way. Times was poor, like you know. And was was the streets like they are today? No way, no light, no stories, no nothing. Like going to school, you know. And um, what did you read by? Uh, all we had was uh, gramophone. We no wireless, no television, no nothing. You had no electric light. You had paraffinated lamp. You're done with that. If you hadn't a paraphernalia, you get a put of a candle. That's it. So did it affect your eyesight, Simmy? No, 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 no. That's one thing you'll never see. A tinker never has lights, you know. And you'll never see a tinker wearing glasses. <laughs> because I tell you why. It's the smoke from the fire. Now you'll never see a small thing, a, a ball tinker. Why is that? Because the smoke cures the hair. Does it? Oh, yes. There's not a doubt about that. <laughs> is that old cures now, Simmy? No, it is true. Did you ever see a tinker with a bald head? No, I didn't. I have Did to. you ever see a tinker wearing glasses? No. No, you did that. No, no, you never did either. Arthur Tapley was a great character here a in Great Kukulli. character. Tell me about it. He was working on the border box on the Curra one time, and he had a canary at home. And he had to walk to the Curra every morning, you see. So this morning he got up anyway, and if he got to feed the canary, you must give a canary... Water every day, fresh water. He forgot about it. He'd be taught of it on the colour that evening. So when he come home, the wife says to him, Artie, she says, I've bad news for you. What's wrong? He says, the canary is dead in the bottom of the cage. It's not. It is, he says. So he went over and he took down the cage and he took the canary out and he looked at it and he started rubbing it, rubbing it on the neck and on the head. And he says to the wife, have you heard a drop of holy water in the house? I have, she says. I have a drop in my room upstairs. Come and get it, he says. She'll come back down anyway. She gave him the holy water. And he opened the beak of the canary. And he put three drops down into his throat. And he rubbed its throat. And he rubbed it all over. And he put it back into the kitchen bottom of the cage and left it there. Hung up the cage. About four o'clock the next morning, the wife gave me a dig in the ribs. After she says there's someone singing downstairs. Would you turn around, Mum, and go sleep? There's someone singing downstairs. Get up and see who it is. So he hopped out the bed and down the stairs. And what was it? 
the canary opened that perch and he singing fate of our father's holy fish <laughs> I don't believe it Sammy you're, you're putting me on <laughs> no that's true that happened there was a perch fish here one time by the name of Father McAuliffe and he loved hunting two or three days a week you see and he always rode a grey horse and he come back into Kikon, you see. And it was only the one pub he go into. And that was T.J. Dillon's. And he go in. And T.J. Dillon, he talked to no one. And he drink whiskey with the priest all night. And the priest had drink brandy. So this evening he come home from the hunt, you see. And he pulled up outside. And there was a real hard rope. An uncle of mine by the name of the napper dial. And he says to the napper, Will you mind me, horse? I will not, he says, mind your horse. You're going in now, he says, to T.J. Dillon, and he'll drink brandy for the next two hours, and you'll drink whiskey. And I, you think, he says, that I'm going to stop out here, he says, for two hours and mind your horse. He says, I won't do it. The priest got off the horse, and he says to him, do you know, he says, I have the power to stick you to that wall. Well, he says, if you have the power to stick me to the wall, stick the horse to the wall, he says, and I'll be there when you come out. <laughs> but just one final word, Simi. You're, you're 21. The, where did you live, first of all? Well, I tell you, there was one room. There was a back scullery, and there was a couch on the kitchen. And I said to my father one night, to say, where did all the lads sleep? A little ladder off the hall, up into the attic. You see? And I says to my father, man, he says, how did you all turn? He says, when father turned, we all turned. <laughs> Simmy, what can I say to you? Simmy Doyle, thanks for chatting to me this evening. And you're listening to Homefront this evening where I'm chatting to the people of Kilcullen. Now, there are certain landmarks, or rather a lot of landmarks in Kilcullen, and a man who gave me a wealth of information about Knockallan Hill and, of course, about the Gordon Bennett rally in, that passed through Kilcullen was none other than Brian Byrne. Well, the, there's a fairy story about it first that uh, it, in old tradition it's supposed to have been uh, the result of Finn McCool, who lived at the Hill of Allen. Um, picking up a stone one day and throwing it towards Kilcullen and it landed near Old Kilcullen and that is now Colin Hill. Now that's the fairy story. So um, we can discount it I suppose but it's a nice one just the same. Um, more accurately I suppose the best thing is to, to remember that back between 1968 and 1973 uh, Dr. Bernard Wales of the University of Pennsylvania came back every summer to do a series of digs on Colin because uh, it was very much uh, a Celtic Iron Age hill fort. Very similar, in fact, he found in his excavations to uh, the way the hill fort of Tara was built and Navan up in the north of Ireland. And um, so he spent a good deal of time excavating it. And in all, it's a 40-acre site. And during the diggings, they found um, shards of pottery and utensils and things like that, um, dating between 1275 BC and about 193-200 AD. So it was very much an Iron Age, uh, Iron Age and pre-Iron Age um, hill fort and, and, and area where a certain amount of uh, people used to congregate. And I say used to congregate because he did kind of uh, decide in the end that it wasn't a place of residence, that it was in fact very much a place of ceremony and um, being 
uh, traditionally one of the one of the places where the kings of Leinster used to come to. They probably came here for ceremonial purposes or to uh, make camp to uh, collect taxes and things like that. And when you say ceremonial purposes, what would that involve with the kings of Leinster if they came to have ceremonies there? Well, it, to uh, show their power, because um, when they travel around the country or their area, they, they travel around, in fact, uh, with their troops and, and people to collect taxes, to collect money, to to collect, uh, well, there wasn't so much money then, but there was gold and there were cattle particularly, and everybody was supposed to give a certain proportion of their, what they've got to the, the king, the high king of the time. So they would come around and they would have various residences around their area uh, of wherever they were king of or high king of and they'd come at different times of the year or every year and set up camp there too uh, so people could come and uh, give what, the, what the, the king said was their due and if they didn't come he sent their troops out after them probably chop their head off but Brian um, is it a historic site now and do people come and visit it? Uh, no not particularly because after the excavations it's on private land and it was all filled in again so we do have uh, very good records of what he found because he he, um, he wrote several papers on the subject but it's not an historic site although oddly enough um, about two years ago I was walking down the street and somebody called me and said can you help these two people here and um, one of them, there were Italian people as it happened and one of them was uh, a middle aged man and there was a youngish girl with him and um, he asked me I finally found out what he was, he was looking for in a colon and what he was doing, he was travelling around um, Europe and Ireland looking at Celtic sites because he was very interested in in, in, in Celtic sites the, the Celtic history and traditions were his, his um, if you like, his hobby and he was doing this as as uh, as a holiday, so he didn't have a car. So I, I drove him up, and uh, drove them up, and I brought them up on top of the hill and showed them around. And um, he was he was very very enjoyed it very much. And uh, oddly enough, in um, they those two people became the core characters for the title story in my book of short stories, Marisea's House. Mind you, what I wrote about them was total fiction, but um, what they told me that day on the hill triggered off the, the idea. So tourists do come, but uh, not very often. Gordon Bennett race is also associated with Kilcullen, and Brian Byrne, you know something about that? Well, the Gordon Bennett race, it's named after Gordon Bennett, who was a New York newspaper proprietor, who had a big interest in cars at the turn of the century. And in 1900, he gave a prize, the Gordon Bennett Trophy, uh, for a, a big race to be held in France, in fact. And it was held in France uh, in 1900, I think, or 1901, um, and was very successful. But the trouble was that after that, they closed the roads to racing in France and in Britain, so that the race couldn't be held again in France or in Britain. But in Ireland, uh, they were still allowed racing on roads. So that's how the Gordon Bennett race came to to Ireland in 1903. And it was a major event with um, a lot of uh, very well-known names in the car business at the time, particularly Mercedes and Oldsmobile and uh, Renault, among others, were in the business then. And um, there was a lot of interest in racing. Now, the race itself at the time took in a circuit of um, Kilcullen, Carlo Thai, the Curragh, Kildare, Monastrevan and Stradbally. And um, it was a kind of a, a double circuit. Unfortunately, in the last few years, Kilcullen has not been on the circuit. And indeed, a lot of the County Kildare 
section of the circuit has not been used. Uh, they've picked new circuits down into County Carlow and into County Kilkenny. Um, but they still do finish the race where it finished at that time, which is the Motivard Skull between here and Athai. Nice story there, Brian, on the Gordon Bennett rally. CK. You're listening to Homefront this evening. I'm Agella Dwan and we're chatting to the people of Kilcullen, where there is a great community spirit and lots of colourful characters. Matt Dunlee and Tom Byrne are two of the elders of the town and recall for me their mem memories of old Kilcullen. Take us back to your time in Kilcullen and the memories you have of the old Kilcullen. Well, I can go back to the opening of the town hall. What year was that? Thirty-three. Uh, 1933 with a lady long years deceased, including himself, of course, called Bridgie Lamb. Um, Matt, you had five blacksmiths in the town. Five blacksmiths in the town, Ned Ivory, two who lived... Well, the, the family owned the house where Des born is living. A portion of that house was a forge. Joe Dowlin and Pat Dowlin lived there. That's two blacksmiths. You had Pat French in the town. And you had Joe Kelly, or Pat Kelly, down in the square. And you had people with the name of Myers that's out in Mile Mill, which is a mile out the road. Now, the there had to be horses, because that was their livelihood. And what were the streets like? Were they cobblestone? Well, they weren't cobble, they were stone, but not cobblestones. Not cobblestones as you know cobblestones. No, they were just stone. stone. But you could, at that time, you could spin a top. So no, nobody's spinning tops now anymore. I don't think a child would know what a top is. What's a spinning a top mean? A top that you had a, a whip. You lapped the lash of it around the top. little top was laid like that side with a little spud in, in the end of it. And you give it a swing and you let it off. But you could beat that up and down the town and it keeps spinning. And you could beat it up and down that street. You could and not, nothing or nobody stop you. So you spent many a day spinning a top? Many a day spinning a top or bowling a hoop. Tell me about bowling a hoop. Well, bowling a hoop was a bicycle wheel with no spokes and a little bit of a stick, six or eight inches long, and running along the road, bowling it along in front of you. Simple as that. Tell me about Nanny Lawler, Matt. Well, Nanny Lawler, there was a, there were two sisters, Nanny and Bridget, and a brother, Phil. They had a little shop and had a little bit of land just the other end of the street. And Phil used to milk a few cows and he'd drive the cows up and down the street morning and evening. Not, nobody's stopping, no cars, no no traffic of any kind. But she had all kinds of knickknacks, uh, chocolates and sweets. But the best value was you could get eight Scotchlands for your penny, for one penny. You'd have a nice chomp on that, would you? Well, they'd do you for the evening. Of course you would. Your family worked for Lord Dixon's estate, Matt. They worked for the Dixon estate. He later became Lord Dunthorne. He was an orange man. Now, if there's such a thing as a good orange man... He was it. We were never hungry. But there was no other for it. You had it and you had Giltown. They were the only two, weren't they? They were the only two people that were in play. I mean, they employed roughly 40 people all the time. 
and during the summer for harvest there'd be another 10 or 12 taken on just for the couple of months. So the landed gentry were very much to the fore in your day? Oh yes, they were, but I'd have to say that they were, as far as I was concerned, we always had a crust, it was no, no problem, we never were short of anything. Matt and Lee, would you just tell me about the maypole dancing? That's an unusual one. Yeah, well, may, a maypole was uh, just a wooden floor laid down in the field with a few stools all round. Music was two melodians, the Gardile and Sonny Dorden were the two melodians. It started in North Kilcullen, a man by the name of Swears was the first man to start the one in Kilcullen. And then he gave it up and somebody else took it over and the brought, it was brought down to Nicholas Town. And then we also had the Legion Hall, which is where the old Nicholas Town, as we know it now, was built. That was a field belonged to Gene Alden, the present butchers. And it was a Legion Hall there. It was danced there on Wednesday and Sunday all the winter. Now, the Maypole was a summer job, but the Legion Hall was again fourpence on a Wednesday night and sixpence on Sunday night. Good entertainment all round, man. Good entertainment all round. Well, Tom Byrne, you're a native here of Kilcullen, um, a man in his, um, shall I say, n not his prime, but one of the elderly citizens of Kilcullen. Uh, was there cobblers around here that mended the shoes? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You never got you had one pair of shoes. And you're hard in the... I know my mother put in nails in mine, three two two rolls nails and shamrock nails. <laughs> that stopped you from wearing them out too quickly. <laughs> you got one pair a year, did you, Tom? Well, you might. <laughs> if you were lucky. As long as you didn't kick too many stones. <laughs> how much were they, Tom? Well, I remember as a child a, a men's pair of nail boots. We used advertised the local shop window, Stingo nail boots, nine shillings and eleven pence. And you were a real cool dude in these stingo boots, were you? Oh, yeah, because my mammy tried to keep me in nice little shoes, you see, and that wouldn't suit at all. I had to have the boots on to be as good as the lads. And, Tom, entertainment, Tom, what did you do for entertainment? Oh, well, that was, of course, parcels, travelling cinema. He used to come and they used to pitch in the square with a kind of a, a, a kind of half-timber come canvas tent and I remember seeing my first picture there and it was a, a serial every every night if you got the tuppence Elmo the Mighty was nameless and uh, that was it and then the circus when it came that's all that's all you had for entertainment so what did you do to socialize and meet women well that was a different story. We go out picking mushrooms. <laughs> Tell me about picking mushrooms, Tom. <laughs> Seems a, a funny way to meet a, a woman now, Tom, picking mushrooms. Uh, well, no, I wasn't at that stage at that time. No. But there was a travelling show of Vic Loving, and she had a concert down the town hall here. And she ran out of money, you know. And she had a chorus of girls. There was a half a dozen of them. And they were standing down there for a month. <laughs> and of course, we'd be down <laughs> dancing every night with the chorus girls down. They were actually living in the town hall below for a month. Eyeing them up, Tom, were you? Ah, yeah. <laughs> um, the Castle Martin estate is another landmark in Kilcullen, and it's owned by Dr. A.J. O'Reilly. But uh, previous to that, the owner was a Colonel Blacker. Is that right, Ma um, 
Tommy? Yeah, that's right. Um, prior, I should mention, though, that years before that, it was owned by the General Dundas, who had a war with the 98 men at Kilcullen Bridge. Then Blackers came into it, Colonel Blacker. Tell me about him. Well, he, he was... He, he, his father was Major Black and then Colonel Blacker, and he became ma master of the foxhounds in Kildare, the Kildare Hunt. And he wasn't the best of a businessman, and things started running. I think he was running a bit short of cash. But it ended up, there was a meet one day in Dunlavin. And I remember seeing a photograph, and I think the Irish Times, at the, at the the master and his wife going back from the meet because the huntsman refused to hunt. They hadn't been paid. And forever afterwards, the hunt could never cross Castle Martin land. And I noticed some years afterwards, uh, I was at the hunt in the steward's quarters in Punchestown, uh, been an, a member of an organisation, I was invited there, and the, the, the portraits of all the masters around, but Blacker wasn't on it. Does it sadden you to see the new Kilcullen, or for you, what has it meant, the changes that are in the new Kilcullen of today? No, it doesn't sadden me. I, I saw too much poverty when I was young. And I can't say there's any poverty now towards what I knew. I saw too much poverty around me, everywhere. And I never want to go back to that. I will never want to see it again. And that just about wraps it up for me from Homefront this evening. I certainly enjoyed the crack and the ambience of the people of Kilcullen and would certainly like to thank them for their hospitality. Now, do join me next week when I shall be chatting to the people of Tullow. Until then, from myself, Magella Dwan, have a very nice evening. Bye-bye for now. That was Magella Dwan's CKR Radio Homefront programme from 1994, recorded in Kilcullen. Again, my thanks to Miriam MacDonald for lending it to the diary and I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I have. I'm Brian Byrne. This is Gagullin Diary. Thank you for listening.